This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. March 8th, 2014. Evening. In the polished halls of Kuala Lumpur International Airport, 227 passengers wait to board their plane. Among them are esteemed calligraphers, employees of a U.S. technology company, newlyweds, mothers, fathers, and friends. But something was wrong. Although not reported until two months after the flight, an extra passenger boarded the plane that night. They stepped onto the plane, found their seat, and sat down with the rest of the passengers. For 39 minutes, they rode in silence as the plane climbed to 35,000 feet. But at 1.21 a.m., the mysterious passenger unbuckled their seatbelt and stood up. They made their way toward the front of the plane, leaving the other passengers behind. Just a single minute later, all 227 passengers and 12 crew members vanished without a trace. No texts were sent for help. No systems reported a problem. The plane was just gone. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries. And Conspiracy Theories. You've probably noticed our friend Carter is once again joining Richard and me for a special episode. Hi, Unexplained Mystery fans. I'm Carter. Some of you may know that Carter and I host another podcast, Conspiracy Theories. Every week on Conspiracy Theories, Molly and I dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. Since the story of Malaysia 370 has spawned conspiracy theories as well as mysteries, we decided to cover it together in a special two-part crossover. You can find Conspiracy Theories, along with all of ParCast's other shows, and part one on this crossover special on your favorite podcast directory. Last week, we covered the official timeline and exhausting search that followed the tragic loss of Malaysia Airlines Flight 370, or MH370. This week, we will focus on the conspiracy theories and unexplained mysteries that surround MH370. We'll start by analyzing the debris that surfaced on the shores around Madagascar. Are they the find of a lifetime or evidence of a cover-up? 
We have one conspiracy theory today. The airplane wing pieces found around Madagascar were faked to cover up what really happened to the plane and take the heat off the Malaysian government. From there, we'll move on to our mysteries. We'll take another look at the 10 minutes of radio silence that led to the disappearance of MH370. We'll propose solutions for what happened during this time and examine the clues that support them. And finally, we'll end this episode with what experts consider the most credible solution to the greatest mystery in aviation history. As you may recall, on March 8, 2014, a commercial Boeing 777 was traveling from Kuala Lumpur International Airport in Malaysia to Beijing Capital International Airport in China. It was scheduled to be a direct flight lasting five hours and 34 minutes. But less than one hour into the flight, the plane, its 227 passengers and its 12 crew members vanished. MH370 was expected to enter Vietnamese airspace at 1.22 a.m., but it never appeared on their radar. Through bits of satellite information, the Malaysian government tracked the plane as it diverted from its original course several times. First, the plane turned approximately 30 degrees to the right. But two minutes later, MH370 spun almost 180 degrees to the left to fly back toward Malaysia. MH370 continued in this direction for a few hours until it turned yet again, this time heading away from Malaysia and directly toward one of the most dangerous bodies of water on the planet, the Indian Ocean. With this final turn, MH370 flew for another four hours until it crashed in the ocean at approximately 9.15 a.m. on March 8, 2014 seven hours after its initial disappearance. In the years that followed, the Malaysian government spent over $155 million in search operations to find MH370. With planes, boats, and even submarine robots, this hunt remains the most expensive search in airline history. But despite their best efforts, MH370 remains lost today. The only surviving victims of this crash are the friends and families of those who disappeared. After years of failed search attempts, their frustration and pain is unparalleled. Our hearts go out to them. Since this initial search and rescue, a few pieces of MH370 have washed up on the beaches around the Indian Ocean. The first piece was discovered on Réunion Island in July 2015. The second in Mauritius in Madagascar in May 2016, and the third on Pemba Island in June 2016. All three of these pieces have been confirmed as missing debris. They each have MH370's official serial number, 28420. This suggests that the plane crashed in the Indian Ocean and then drifted upwards of 3,000 miles across some of the roughest seas in the world to arrive at a small spot of land near Madagascar. If this seems coincidental, you're not alone. Many theorists have their own opinions on the final resting place of MH370. Although this debris has been labeled as official, conspiracy theorists believe these pieces were fabricated, and the true location of MH370 remains a mystery. This brings us to our major conspiracy theory for the episode. Despite the matching serial numbers, 
Was the debris in and around Madagascar faked? Well, the short answer is maybe. To begin this discussion, we have to look at the debris that was found. More specifically, which parts of the plane have been found? Three pieces have been confirmed by Malaysian officials. The right flapperon was discovered on Reunion Island. A right wing flap was discovered on Pemba Island. A part of the right wing exterior was discovered in Mauritius. At first glance, this doesn't seem to be strange. But all three of these pieces belong to the same part of the aircraft, the right wing. It makes sense that adjacent portions of the aircraft would drift to a similar part of the Indian Ocean. It does. But there is something in MH370's past that is important to consider. As you may recall, MH370 had one accident on August 9th, 2012, before its historic disappearance. Prior to this accident, this aircraft had a clean record with thousands of hours of fly time. On August 9, 2012, MH370 landed in Shanghai Pudong International Airport. Now, as it was coming into the airport, it collided with China Eastern Airlines' A340 plane B6050. No one was injured in the collision, but the right wing tip of MH370 broke off and was embedded in the left horizontal stabilizer of the Chinese aircraft. Pictures of the crash show six feet of wing missing from MH370. In the months after the collision, the Boeing company ordered a repair on the aircraft and the entire right wing was replaced. The entire right wing. Theorists believe the original damaged wing was then scattered across the beaches around Madagascar. It would be as old as MH370 and have a similar amount of weathering from its years in the sky. Broken wings are taken to airplane boneyards. These are unique scrapyards designed for out-of-commission aircrafts and their parts. Now, most airplane boneyards hold thousands of airplanes, which are slowly dismantled over a few months. The only airplane boneyard remotely close to Malaysia is the Alice Springs Airport in Australia. The second closest is in Spain, over 7,000 miles away. So it's pretty safe to assume the right wing of MH370 went to Alice Springs to be dismantled. Once it was disassembled, it's possible a government organization stole a few of those pieces. But it wouldn't be a simple operation. The largest piece found around Madagascar was a few hundred pounds and close to seven feet in length. A team would have to sneak into the boneyard, load the piece into a van or helicopter, and smuggle the piece off the lot. Then they would have to fly the pieces out to the Indian Ocean and drop them in a current that carried them to the respective islands so it looked like they arrived naturally. It sounds grandiose, but there is some evidence to support fabricated debris. It seems the organization behind this alleged operation forgot about one thing, barnacles. Looking at the debris, barnacles cover the top, bottom, and sides. This would only happen if pieces were completely submerged while they drifted. But when these pieces were tested in a flotation tank, they floated right to the top. According to marine biologists, barnacles and marine fouling only grow on wetted surfaces or surfaces that experience a consistent level of submersion. If the pieces floated, they wouldn't receive equal wetting, and the barnacles wouldn't grow at an equal rate. It's just not scientifically possible. But the rabbit hole goes deeper. 
Chemical tests on the pieces found that the barnacles grew in water much cooler than the temperatures around Madagascar and Reunion. These barnacles grew at 18 degrees Celsius for most of their life, and then 25 degrees Celsius toward the end. 25 degrees Celsius is 10 degrees colder than the average water around Reunion, much closer to the water around Australia. So the pieces didn't float near Madagascar, but then still ended up there? That's what the tests suggest. These tests have theorists convinced that the debris were actually artificially tethered underwater and later planted around Madagascar by a government of some kind. The Malaysian government does have a motive to fabricate debris. With each passing failure, Malaysian officials were under extreme pressure to recover any proof of the whereabouts of MH370. With the public spotlight and the grieving families protesting daily, it's clear the Malaysian government wanted this horror story to be over as soon as possible. But was that pressure enough to make them fabricate evidence? One press conference does point theorists in that direction. On July 29, 2015, 587 days after MH370 disappeared, the first piece of debris was found on the shores of Reunion. When the Malaysian government announced this discovery, they said the piece belonged to MH370 beyond a shadow of a doubt. But when French officials announced the discovery that same day, they said the piece had, quote, very strong conjectures, but required additional testing. Some of this later testing revealed the discrepancies that we mentioned. Why was the Malaysian government so eager to accept this new piece of evidence before it was officially confirmed? The friends and family members of the victims asked the government this very question, but Malaysian officials refused to comment. Despite the discrepancies, they stand by their original statement, the debris are real. Was this to comfort the families, or perhaps to cover up a darker mistake? Well, we don't know for sure. But if the goal was to bring peace to the families, their plan backfired violently. Hearing that these pieces were both confirmed and not confirmed at the same time, the loved ones of the victims began to protest and speak out against the Malaysian government. At a press conference, Zhang Meiling, a mother of one of the passengers, expressed her pain, quote, why are they trying to fool us? To make us take the compensation money? I want to kill him. What he said is nonsense. I just want to kill him. End quote. Tom Wood, the brother of one of the lost passengers, also voiced his skepticism at a press conference. Until we have more, you know, all we have is a, a piece of a wing. That could mean a lot of things, right? But the most incriminating evidence was yet to come. We mentioned that only three pieces of MH370 have been confirmed, but more pieces were discovered. In fact, there were six other pieces. On August 16, 2017, French officials discovered six pieces on the beach of Madagascar, debris that allegedly belonged to other portions of the aircraft besides the right wing. They were held in Madagascan custody while the Malaysian government was notified. Malaysia officials were beside themselves. They told the Madagascan government to hold on to the debris until they could personally pick them up. The man they sent to collect these pieces was the honorary consul of Malaysia, Zahid Raza. 
He was a seasoned diplomat with years of experience in handling debris. He was particularly adept in Madagascar diplomacy as he spent the last four years of his life strengthening bilateral relations between Malaysia and Madagascar. Within the week, Raza had rearranged his entire schedule and arrived in Antananarivo, the capital of Madagascar. He rented a car and made plans to pick up the pieces in the morning, but he never made it. On August 24, 2017, Somewhere between 11 p.m. and 1 a.m., Raza's rental car was assaulted with heavy artillery, and Raza was assassinated. To this day, we don't know the assailant behind this assassination, but officials suspect it had something to do with the new debris still in the hands of the Madagascar authorities. Since this assassination, both the Malaysian and Madagascan governments have become significantly less public in this investigation. It sounds like a spy novel. Political assassination after the discovery of new clues. Fear-mongering and loose ends. I agree. A variety of other aircraft pieces have surfaced across the Indian Ocean since, but none of them have been officially confirmed. Many of these new pieces lack the barnacle growth necessary for a a year-and-a-half journey across the Indian Ocean. Many experts believe these new pieces belong to more recent airline accidents, unrelated to MH370. All we can do now is wait for more pieces to come floating in, unless the plane is at the bottom of the ocean, in which case we may never have a confirmed story. Over on Conspiracy Theories, Carter and I like to round off our theories with a plausibility rating out of 10, one being completely false and 10 being undeniably real. So factoring in the evidence we discussed, how plausible is the fabrication of debris? I give this theory a solid 7 out of 10. It's strange that after years of looking, only three pieces have turned up, and those three pieces all belong to the wing that was repaired? I agree. If a current did carry the pieces over 3,000 miles, more than three pieces should have surfaced around Madagascar. We are still missing huge portions of the aircraft. The chemical weathering and marine fouling is also highly suspect. It doesn't make sense that a piece drifting for a year and a half would have equal barnacle growth on all sides. Nature is rarely so meticulous. If the pieces were planted, we are looking at a major government operation. First, the wing would have to be stolen. Then it would have to be submerged in a tank for a year and a half. Then flown across the Indian Ocean to Madagascar. And finally embedded in three different beaches. That is a cloak-and-dagger operation to end all cloak-and-dagger operations. I agree. Besides, a Malaysian official was murdered in the process of gathering more evidence. It just doesn't make sense that the Malaysian government would hurt one of their own just to end an investigation. But the rating remains so high because the Malaysian government is just one of the suspects on the list. Another government could have faked the debris, and that government just might be the force behind this disappearance from the very beginning. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Try Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost, built for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, incredible load times, and 24-7 WordPress priority support, your sites will be lightning fast with global reach. And with Bluehost Cloud, your sites can handle surges in traffic no matter how big. Plus, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. Get started now at Bluehost.com. And now, let's continue the story. As you may recall, the moment on March 8, 2014, when MH370 lost contact with air traffic control was a communication meltdown. Within 10 minutes, three major communication systems had gone black and the two pilots were flying solo. The first system to drop was the air traffic control audio. This is the device that allows pilots to communicate with air traffic control over their headsets. This first drop was actually standard procedure. MH370 was in the process of switching to Vietnamese airspace and Vietnamese air traffic control. They were supposed to drop Malaysian air traffic control and immediately connect with Vietnam, but they never did. Two minutes later, the transponder went offline. Uh, This is the device that communicates the plane's location through radar. A minute after that, the Aircraft Communications Addressing and Reporting System, or ACARS, went out. This is the system that transmits data directly to the plane's manufacturer, allowing the Boeing company to track their location. The only system that remained online was the plane's satellite antenna. This device remained functioning for seven hours from the initial communication meltdown until the plane crashed. The exact reason these systems failed is still hotly debated today, but airline experts claim there are only two ways a massive communication failure of this magnitude could have happened. The first is a major electrical fire in the cockpit. According to the Flight Safety Foundation, the majority of electrical fires are caused by wiring malfunctions. A wire either superheats or sparks, causing internal parts to burn. The statistics behind these onboard fires are a little frightening. Three flights a day experience in-flight smoke problems around the world. Now, as a passenger, your chance of being on one of these flights is about one in 10,000. That said, because of airline safety precautions, these fires are usually extinguished in seconds and passengers never know about them. But they are still a major issue for airlines today. Right. Airline experts claim an electrical fire in the cockpit could cause all three communication systems to go down within a few minutes. This could also explain the sudden 180-degree turn MH370 made back towards Malaysia. If there was a major fire on board, the pilots would likely turn the aircraft to the nearest landmass. At the time of the communication meltdown, the nearest landmass was Malaysia. However, this theory does not explain why the plane made a second turn toward the Indian Ocean. The last thing the pilots would want to do with electrical issues is fly over open ocean. Without the guidance of air traffic control, this would be a death sentence. The timing of this hypothetical fire is also highly suspect. During the pilot's final transmission, the pilot showed no sign of danger. 
Their voices were calm and no warnings were reported to air traffic control. It struck the moment the plane was switching to Vietnamese air traffic control. A fire would likely have caused other issues as well. Major fires bring planes down in a matter of minutes. But this flight continued for seven hours after communication was lost. These discrepancies have led experts to consider other ways an aircraft can lose all three communication systems in 10 minutes. The only other way all three communication systems would drop that fast on a Boeing 777 is if someone inside the aircraft sabotaged the plane by removing the circuit breaker. On a Boeing 777, the circuit breaker is located above the pilot's heads in the middle of the cockpit. But here's the thing. To remove the circuit breaker, one of the pilots would have to physically and purposefully pull the device out of its socket. There's no way a circuit breaker could be accidentally removed. Pilots are trained to never remove a circuit breaker unless there's an extreme emergency. According to Plane and Pilot magazine, the only reason a pilot should remove a circuit breaker is if it trips twice in a row from electrical failure. And once again, there were no failures reported to air traffic control before the disappearance. So it had to be one of the pilots. That's what the experts thought. Two months after the plane disappeared in May 2014, a full investigation was ordered on the lives of the pilots. And, as you may recall, officials found colorful backstories. The co-pilot, Farik Abdul Hamid, was a young rising star who was on the eve of becoming a full pilot. MH370 was actually his final training flight. On a previous flight, he snuck a couple girls into the cockpit to show off on the job. Although a major violation, this was the only dark spot on Hamid's otherwise glowing record. But the 56-year-old captain, Zahari Ahmad Shah, was the more suspicious of the two. He was a Malaysian citizen and had always dreamed of becoming a pilot. He was known for his hard work ethic in Malaysian airlines, and he donated large amounts of food to his community to aid the homeless. But in the weeks before the flight, Shah became more reclusive pulling away from his happy marriage, refusing to attend marriage counseling, and spending hours in his basement running his homemade flight simulator, a simulator that was designed to function like the cockpit of a Boeing 777. His strange behavior escalated to the point that his wife and three children moved out of his house three days before his final flight. Shaw was no doubt psychologically raw from this experience when he took to the sky for the last time. But was that enough to cause him to jeopardize the flight? Well, the most incriminating evidence was Shaw's flight simulator. There was something peculiar about this particular machine. Here, Malaysian Defense and Transport Minister Hishamuddin Hussein explains the strange state of the homemade simulator. Local and international expertise have been recruited to examine the pilot's flight simulator. Some data has been deleted from the simulator, and forensic work to retrieve this data is ongoing. Although we don't publicly know how much data was deleted from the simulator, we do know it was purposely deleted. This wasn't a system failure. The files were selected and removed. Looking further, the FBI noticed yet another coincidence. Here, AP correspondent Kristen Jeleno reveals that discovery. The agency 
has cautioned that the existence of the route on Zahari's simulator does not prove that he planned to steer the plane off course, just that it remains one possibility. The FBI reported the deleted data showed the pilot tracking a path through the South Indian Ocean, the same ocean that stole MH370 from the skies. However, this flight simulator path was not identical to the path MH370 took on March 8th. It was, in fact, a normal flight from Malaysia to India. The only reason the theorists hold this flight up as evidence is because it was deleted. They believe the pilot deleted the data to hide his nefarious intentions, and the trip to India must have informed his operation. Despite this, in the months that followed, the FBI reported no malicious intentions in the deleted data. This is articulated by Kristen Gillano here. There's been a lot of confusion over exactly what was found on Captain Zahari's flight simulator ever since New York Magazine reported last week that an FBI analysis of the device showed that Zahari had conducted a simulated flight to the southern Indian Ocean less than a month before the plane vanished along a similar route. Shaw would no doubt have run hundreds of flight simulations. The fact that one of these flights took him over the Indian Ocean is normal. In fact, it would be more suspicious if there was no flight data that took Shah over the Indian Ocean. The friends and family members of Shah also came to his defense. In the months after his disappearance, they claimed he would never steer a plane off course. Here, a fellow Malaysian pilot, Peter Chang, describes his feelings toward Shah's involvement. If anything has happened in this tragedy of MH370, he would have been the hero of the event. Despite this, many theorists believe Shaw pulled the circuit breaker himself, incapacitated his co-pilot, and guided the plane into the Indian Ocean to commit the world's most elaborate suicide. To me, this seems radically uncharacteristic for the caring pilot that spent so much of his time helping his community and encouraging his fellow employees. I understand he was under familial stress during this portion of his life, But would that stress be enough to motivate the murder of 238 passengers and crew? It doesn't seem to quite fit. Many experts felt the same, so they began to turn their attention elsewhere. Officially, there are only two ways a Boeing 777 can lose all major communication systems in minutes. But off the record, there is a third way. Although only theoretical... Experts believe a Boeing 777 could lose all three main communication systems in a remote cyber hijacking, something we've never before seen on our planet. As outlandish as this sounds, there are several kernels of truth to this theory. After the horror on September 11, 2001, Honeywell and the Boeing company combined forces to prevent future terrorist activity— They wanted to develop a system that took the control away from dangerous pilots and kept planes on track. The fruit of their labor was the Boeing Honeywell Uninterruptible Autopilot. First patented in 2006, this emergency system was designed to take full control away from flight crew in the event of an onboard hijacking. If implemented, the crew would be forced to watch the plane land itself on a designated airstrip. This technology is still in the developmental stages, and no commercial aircraft in the skies today is equipped with this technology, officially. As you can imagine, some experts and conspiracy theorists alike have their own ideas. 
They believe this technology has already been implemented into most commercial airlines and currently protects our skies from terrorism. But this system backfired when it was hacked. Theorists suggest that a third-party government hacked the uninterruptible autopilot on MH370 and effectively crippled the crew. The strange maneuvers MH370 made in the sky were the result of the hijackers. Theoretically, this is possible. One of the major ways the system works is through satellite programming. If the uninterruptible autopilot was on board MH370, a government organization could hack the system using satellites. It's hard to disprove this technology because there's so little public information about the uninterruptible autopilot. But let's look at the situation objectively for a moment. If this was the world's first remote cyber hijacking, there had to be something on the plane that was very important. Why else would a foreign government debut a brand new technology on a commercial aircraft? Well, that's an excellent question. Experts believe the answer comes in the cargo. In May 2014, two months after the disappearance, the Malaysian government released the official cargo manifest for MH370. But there were some major holes in the manifest. For starters, some of the cargo weights didn't add up across the documents. They would often total to the wrong number. But the details really got fuzzy with the plane's supply of batteries. Officially, MH370 had a large supply of lithium-ion batteries on board. Now, these are rechargeable batteries that are often used in cell phones and computers. When we say a large supply, we mean a huge supply. Malaysia Airlines reported over 5,400 pounds of batteries on board. This is almost the weight of two cars in batteries. One month after the manifest was released in May, Malaysian Airlines then reported the manifest was lying. There were lithium-ion batteries on board, but they only accounted for 221 pounds of the 5,400. The other 5,179 pounds were actually, quote, radio accessories and chargers. The families wanted to know exactly what radio accessories and chargers were, but they have never received an answer. They have reached out to Malaysia Airlines dozens of times, but they're always met with radio silence. Why had the initial manifest hidden this detail? Were there any other discrepancies in the manifest? And most importantly... What in the world are radio accessories and chargers? Well, as you can imagine, most experts consider these radio accessories and chargers to be a front. The real cargo is government secrets, contraband, or weapons of some kind. Unfortunately, with the plane lost, this is another piece of the puzzle we may never know. But we can make an educated guess. One government may have ordered an attack on the aircraft and even orchestrated the disappearance from the very beginning. Our story will continue in a moment after the break. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. 
One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or tick it. Paid for by NHTSA. Now our story continues. Many experts, including British anti-terrorism expert Dr. Sally Leavesley, believe MH370 experienced the world's first remote cyber hijacking in 2014. But a hijacking at this level would require state-of-the-art technology and a strong knowledge of the aircraft. Experts place the culprit behind this attack as none other than the United States. According to experts, after the plane was cyber hijacked by the United States, it was flown remotely to the nearest American military base. And it just so happens the nearest American military base, Diego Garcia, is in the Indian Ocean. At little more than 12 square miles, this military atoll is under American control and populated solely by the women and men of the United States military. Since it came under U.S. control in 1971, no journalist or tourist has set foot on the island. Over the years, this little mystery spot has become a void for a variety of conspiracy theories and disappearances around the globe. But none is more popular than its involvement with MH370. According to experts, U.S. intelligence knew about the government secrets on board MH370 and devised a brilliant plan to keep the plane from reaching China. Using remote cyber hijacking, they stole MH370 from the sky and personally drove it to the island of Diego Garcia. From there, the cargo and passengers were captured and the secret of MH370 was sealed forever. The strange turns in MH370's flight path were engineered to confuse the public, and all the debris found in Madagascar are American fabrications. MH370 is instead resting peacefully in a tropical warehouse and its passengers prisoners on Diego Garcia. This is supported by alleged eyewitness testimony from a neighboring island. Two journalists, Farah Ahmed and Ahmed Naif, spoke with residents of Kuduhuvadu, the island 700 miles south of Diego Garcia. According to their testimony, a white aircraft with red stripes flew past their island early in the morning of March 8, 2014. One eyewitness stated, quote, I've never seen a jet flying so low over our island before. We've seen seaplanes, but I'm sure this one was not one of those. I could even make out the doors on the plane clearly, end quote. If this testimony is to be believed, MH370 was not only in the Diego Garcia airspace, but also flying low enough to land. That said, if the plane was near Kudahuvadu, it would be over 700 miles away from Diego Garcia. It's very unlikely that a plane descending 700 miles away from an island would make a safe landing. This has turned experts to a slight variation. If the eyewitness testimonies are to be believed, and MH370 was flying closer to Kudahuvadu, the plane might have been shot down by the American military out of fear. In a conference about MH370, independent aviation analyst Chris Yates revealed the procedure America would follow when identifying the aircraft. 
if uh, an aircraft, an object in the sky is coming out to your country at a rate of knots and with no identification, then uh, fighter jets are lofted to go and take a look-see. And ultimately, if they can't raise anybody uh, to fire missiles and shoot the aircraft down. In this way, the United States would be directly responsible for the disappearance of MH370, and the blood of the passengers would be on the hands of the U.S. military. To hide this, the plane was hidden by American agents and pieces of debris were fabricated. This version of the truth has its own eyewitness testimony. On the other side of the Indian Ocean, over in Australia, a 64-year-old amateur crash investigator, Peter McMahon, found a clue. When MH370 disappeared in 2014, McMahon began to search for the plane like the rest of the world. But he didn't use a plane or even a boat. McMahon used Google Maps. Over 25 years, Google Maps has been McMahon's best tool in solving dozens of airline crashes around the globe. A few hours a day, McMahon dug through the Indian Ocean, pixel by pixel, flicking through miles of blue ocean. After over four years of searching in early March 2018, he found something. On Google Maps, 10 miles south of Round Island in the Indian Ocean, there is a distinct white frame of an airplane just below the surface of the water. This plane has both wings intact, a full tailpiece and allegedly bullet marks. The plane is no longer on Google Maps, but McMahon did screen capture his find and post the result online. We encourage you to take a look. It's either the strangest wave formation in the Indian Ocean or an airplane. In March 2018, McMahon's findings were submitted to the Australian Transport and Safety Bureau, or ATSB, and officials have confirmed that this could be the missing plane. The Indian Ocean has yet to be searched in this location, but experts remain hopeful. If this is the missing plane, the two complete wings on Google Maps would completely discredit the debris found on Madagascar. But we can't make any judgment calls until this new location has been examined. We have just one last version of the truth to present to you today. And although it's the most cinematic, it's also probably the least likely. As you may recall, the Malaysian government struggled to get the truth out to the public throughout this investigation. Because of the miscommunications, it's taken years for facts to rise to the surface. The best example of this comes in the number of passengers. According to the official crew manifest that was released in May 2014, 239 passengers were on the aircraft when it went down. This is 227 passengers and 12 crew members. But 228 tickets were scanned onto the plane. An additional passenger was on board the aircraft at the time of departure. Some experts and theorists believe this mysterious passenger was directly related to the failure of the aircraft. The founder of Unicorn Aerospace, Andre Milne, went as far as saying, quote, the extra passenger likely acted in conjunction with a larger external operational support to take full command and control of the cockpit, end quote. In this way, the mysterious passenger forced his way into the cockpit and ordered the pilots to remove the circuit breaker from the plane. 
Then, while coordinating with ground agents, this mysterious passenger turned the flight around in the sky and brought the plane to a culprit government or a third-party island. In this version, the strange turns in the flight path were heroic attempts by the pilots to divert the hijacking. The fact that the plane went down suggests the hijackers failed to overtake the airplane. Although this does justify the aerial turns and even the loss of communication, the only proof to support this comes in the one discrepancy in the passenger manifest. It's hard to base an entire narrative on a single detail, but it's possible. Malaysian Airlines did respond to this concern, saying, quote, We are aware of this discrepancy. The actual number of passengers on board was 227, end quote. They explained this error was a result of a computerized load sheet, which was sent out two hours before the plane took off. Simply, this call sheet was not the latest passenger list before the flight took off. It's very common for passengers to have last-minute cancellations or bookings, and this is much more likely than a secret passenger on board. But isn't that what a company would say if they were being threatened by larger governmental powers? Maybe. But again, I think this theory is more imagination and hope than facts. It goes to show that even the smallest details of this disappearance are gray. This is one of the many reasons why this case has been so hard to solve over the years. As you may have noticed, nothing we discussed today quite fits all the facts. This is largely why the case remains so fascinating and unexplained. In recent years, experts have begun to combine details. Some think it was a hijacking that turned into a heroic sacrifice, or an electrical fire turned into a government shootdown. No theory tells a complete story without serious creative license. That said, we did promise to leave you with the most plausible theory of the bunch. According to the most recently released report from the Malaysian investigation led by Dr. Kok Su Chong, the plane was turned away from Beijing manually by a hijacker or one of the pilots. However, they ruled out the theories surrounding pilot suicide, mechanical failure, and fire on board. It's most likely the plane was hijacked by a passenger and in the ensuing chaos, crashed into the ocean. In this scenario, the remains of the plane are still underwater. To date, We've explored less than 5% of the ocean globally, and with ever-shifting ocean currents, it's impossible to look everywhere. MH370 is likely still floating in unknown ocean, out of our reach. Although this is officially the best solution out there today, it still doesn't answer all the twists and turns of this mystery. Some of the other discrepancies in cargo and passenger number will continue to puzzle experts and amateurs around the globe. Regardless... The loved ones of the passengers carry this tragedy with them every day. They're the most deserving of the truth and the final details of Flight MH370. We hope that the coming years bring more closure to this dark moment in history and more attention to safety in the future. Until then, this mystery lives on. And the final moments of MH370 remain just as elusive to us now as the moment the plane went dark. You can listen to all of ParCast's podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Unexplained Mysteries, which comes out every Thursday. And a new episode of Conspiracy Theories comes out next Wednesday. In the meantime... 
the truth isn't always the best story. The official story isn't always the truth. And never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained mysteries and conspiracy theories were created by Max Cutler and are a production of Cutler Media and are part of the Parcast Network. They are produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. This episode was written by Michael Herman and stars Molly Brandenburg, Richard Rossner, and Carter Roy. Carter Roy.